to At the Threshold, a podcast for ministry leaders during this new, unsettled season in the life of the church. We are your hosts, Ashley Alley Crawford and Shelley Petz. We're both clergy in the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, which is comprised of approximately a thousand churches in the states of Kansas and Nebraska. Shelley works with Clergy Faith and Wellness with the Great Plains Conference. And Ashley is the Clergy Recruitment and Development Coordinator, and we're sharing this from the Office of Clergy Excellence. Our focus here in At the Threshold is to host a conversation with and for clergy in order to describe what's happening, ask questions to help get us unstuck, and encourage the heart of pastors and leaders in this liminal time in which we find ourselves. Liminal may be a new word, but a new season calls for a new word. Liminal means a threshold from what we've always known to, well, we don't know just yet what life and ministry is becoming. Our goal here is to find a little light at the threshold. Welcome everyone joining us today for this important conversation. I'm Ashley Alley Crawford and also leading our conversation today is Dr. Shelley Petz. We're both clergy here in the Great Plains and we're hosting a series of conversations on behalf of the Office of Clergy Excellence as we navigate this new coronavirus influenced reality. We are in a liminal season. If liminal is an unfamiliar word to you, it means a threshold, the middle part from one time to another that is filled with both uncertainty and possibility. In our conversations, we're seeking to describe some of the dynamics that we're seeing and identify some questions and possibilities that are bubbling up for us. Ultimately, we do hope that you leave today with your heart encouraged in some way. Each time that we gather, it is our hope that you'll glean one or two things to think about, to act upon, or to pray through. Our topic today is educational partnerships. This conversation is really the second of a two-part conversation about education. As we shared previously, the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, thought that one of the ways that society could be reformed was through education for all. Because of his emphasis on instructing children both at home and in formal schools, hundreds of schools and colleges and universities were founded and the influence of Sunday school in the U.S. and England took root. We'll link to some of Wesley's writings on children on our episode page. As a pastor, I am so curious about how churches can partner together with the schools in their areas to help meet the needs of administrators, staff, teachers, families, and students. As a parent, I have never been more unsure about what a school year will look like for my children, for their friends, for their schools, their teachers, our community, and so many other communities. I've talked with parents and guardians who are at wit's end trying to figure out what in-person and online and hybrids and homeschooling will look like and the opportunities and risks of each one. Some families are weighing out their options. Some families, based on a variety of circumstances, health or work or other, have limited options and feel the weight of that on their shoulders. Some families are ready to get back to normal, whatever that means right now. Some 
families have heard and some are waiting to hear what plans their districts will roll out. And there are incredibly difficult decisions being made. Sometimes with these difficult decisions, sometimes conflict arises due to not always agreeing with whatever the decisions that are made are. My curiosity comes into play to discover how we can love our neighbors in the midst of uncertainty and anxiety and the complexity of the multitude of educational needs. I am so looking forward to our guest panelists helping to shed some light on our conversation today and express our deepest gratitude for their joining with us. We are so privileged today to have two incredible women joining us for this important conversation about education. Since March, they have navigated some of coronavirus's most pressing challenges that aren't happening in hospitals. How do we provide an education during this disrupted season? Dr. Tawana Grover is answering that question for the 10,000 school children of Grand Island, Nebraska, where she has served as the superintendent of schools since 2016. She has over 23 years of experience in the education field, including serving as a teacher and a principal in Alabama, and a principal and executive director of federal programs and chief of human resources in Texas. She has a PhD in educational psychology and a concentration in higher education. This spring, she has led her, her team in Grand Island um, to reimagine Grand Island public schools as they prepare to, to launch virtual and hybrid and in-person school this fall. Mrs. Tabitha Rossbroy, Mrs. Tabitha, she's known to her students. Uh, Tabitha Rossbroy is a preschool teacher in Winfield, Kansas. She directs a preschool which is housed in a nursing home and includes a multi-generational classroom education with a host of grandmas and grandpas who volunteer in the classroom and otherwise engage in the school community. Just after the pandemic shut down America's classrooms, Mrs. Tabitha was named the National Teacher of the Year. And somewhere in there, I'm not really sure where, Tabitha, you were the co-chair of the Educator Task Force for the Kansas schools. <laughs> it helped compile Kansas's continuous learning guidance in the spring. It was a busy spring for you. <laughs> yeah. In addition to her 10 years of uh, teaching in preschool classrooms, Tabitha has led a variety of local, regional, and state roles related to educating educators. Honestly, I could go on and on about each of these leaders. They are both compassionate and smart and hardworking and sacrificially committed to education. And we're just so glad that you're both able to join us. Uh, thanks for taking time to get us, uh, get us thinking about these things here today. So I want to start, Dr. Grover, with you. Would you tell us a little something um, that didn't maybe show up in the bio about you? What's something that we need to know about, about you um, and I'd, I'd even love to hear what brought you to education. Um, so if you'd be willing oh, to wow. share that, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> oh, okay, very good. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you uh, to the Great Plains United Methodist uh, Organization, your conference for, for hosting these conversations. Um, I think it's very important that our greater community join the conversation uh, with educators uh, because we are all in this together. And the way that we will get through it is through uh, the faith that we have in each other and the support that we provide to one another. So thank you so much for your leadership during this process. Um, I came into education uh, somewhat in a very unique way. Um, I am a first-generation college student. I was born and raised um, in Alabama. And when I graduated high school, I had no idea of what I wanted to do with my life. I actually started working at um, 
Hey, Roll Tide. Yes. <laughs> um, I actually started working at a factory. Um, it was a very well-known factory. And my mom worked at that factory uh, for many years and many of the uh, people that I knew. And so that just became my uh, trajectory. Uh, but I was so fortunate um, as I worked um, along that uh, assembly line in that factory that um, I came in contact with two elderly women who had been working there for many years. Um, they kind of took me under their wings. And one day they, you know, they just said to me, why are you here? Uh, you know, we can see so much more in you. At this point in our lives, we don't have a choice, but you do. Um, and it was something about their words that, um, you know, it inspired me uh, to go and enroll myself um, in college. Um, so one day on my lunch break, I walked out. Uh, from that job, and I didn't look back. I went and enrolled myself in uh, one of the local community colleges uh, with a mission to go forward to be a school counselor. Uh, because as you see, my school counselor was one of the ones who told me that I wasn't college material. No one else in my family had gone to college and never thought that I would. So I've made it my lifelong mission um, starting from that day when I enrolled myself in college that I wanted to go to help children understand their choices and so that they could be prepared to make a choice uh, for the rest of their lives and knowing that they could achieve at high levels. And so um, I did not end up being a counselor. I started teaching for three years. And during that three years, um, people encouraged me to, to be an administrator. You know, they say things like, you should be the principal, you should be doing this. I, and so, and that's what I did. I went on that journey and now here um, in Nebraska um, as superintendent. And I, and I say to people, of course, you heard that I was from Texas prior to, I was in Texas for 13 years prior to coming to Nebraska. So whether it's Alabama, Texas, Nebraska, no matter where uh, my feet land, uh, I'm gonna care about the children. I'm gonna serve uh, the community um, and to give them the tools so that they can thrive in life. Mrs. Tabitha, um, why don't you tell us uh, uh, about your your journey into education? And, and I just have to say thank you, uh, Dr. Grower. That's wonderful to hear that that expectation. I do know that that Tabitha has an Alabama connection, so <laughs> she might have to gush for a minute. <laughs> I do, actually. So my whole family is from Alabama, um, which is why I said Roll Tide, because if I didn't, I would be in trouble. Um, my, I don't know, are you a Crimson Tide fan, Dr. Grover? Yes, we are all in Roll Tide. Absolutely. My parents, the door on their house is the Crimson Red. Yes. <laughs> That's my dad. You know, he keeps buying me um, Alabama clothes and accessories like I like I don't have enough, but I love it. Um, they, we all live in Kansas. I actually was born in South Carolina. I never lived in Alabama. Alabama, but my family was an aircraft, which brought me to Kansas eventually by the time I was in preschool. So I don't have a beautiful Southern accent like you, but my mother does and everyone else in my family does. So I, I love hearing it because it, it makes me feel at home when, when, when I hear any Southern accent, really. So thank you for bringing that to me today. I, I have been teaching preschool for 10 years, but I didn't always know that that's what I wanted to do. I I knew I wanted to help people. And, you know, early on, I thought maybe I'll go into the Peace Corps or, or, you know, do some other kind of helping profession like a counselor or like a therapist. Um, but then I began in high school, I took a dual credit college Spanish course. And part of that was going down to the local preschool and teaching Spanish to those students. And through that experience, 
was the first time I really got to observe a teacher. I'd always been on the receiving end of educational instruction. And I really, and I've said this before, but I finally got to see teaching as an art form. Um, the teacher that I watched, her name was Pat Walton, and she has recently retired in the last several years. But the way that she interacted with her students was so inspiring and magical to me. Um, she wasn't just delivering information to them. She was really a partner in their learning. And that was something that I saw myself doing. And I saw the way that she was able to impact students in, in the long run, even though I couldn't pick my preschool teacher out of a lineup. I know her name and I know the feelings that she left in me. Um, the important, like I still have a note that she wrote to me inside of a book when I was a child and I look at it pretty frequently. And just knowing that incredible start that I had and that I watched other students receive made me, made me wanna be a part of that. And so that's how I ended up at Southwestern studying education and um, I can't believe I am where I am today, but one other little known fact is that Reverend Ashley Alley Crawford was my teacher in college um, and still a great friend. And I am just so honored to be here today. So thank you for the invitation. I'm excited to have this important conversation with you. Good. Yep, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> thank you both. Thank you both so much. A question for you we want to ask you is, can you share with us an observation that you have had over these last few months? Just something that you've noticed, observed, um, that would help enlighten our conversation today. Either of you can jump in, yeah. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go first. <laughs> go ahead, Miss. Miss. So, I one observation that I've had over the last few months is, um, you know, we've got to do better for the the communities, the families in our community that don't have access to certain resources that other families do. And I'm sure that will come up today. Um, but just that that lack of equity in our communities is, is glaring even, even more now than it ever has before. Uh, and I would add to that, um, I think as educators and I, I don't know, maybe just even uh, humans people that we we've seen a lot and we've learned so much about ourselves um, our life purpose um, and so many things that maybe we have overlooked or um, maybe we took for granted uh, before COVID I think um, has maybe recentered us in some ways uh, when it comes to our families and how we uh, spend our time together and in some ways, it slowed us down. And I think in slowing us down, it really exposed some of the challenges and opportunities that we're faced with in our communities that we may we may have overlooked. Um, and some of it has been longstanding uh, systemic oppressions. Uh, they are more visible to us now uh, when we see some of the needs, the desperation uh, that some of our families uh, that they are living through um, there's such a spotlight on some of those uh, disparities that Tabitha talked about and that I know we're going to get into uh, in our conversations. But at the same time, I've seen just a, a glimmer of hope, um, you know, and a lot of it comes from our teachers. They have been so adaptable, more flexible uh, than I ever thought that they could be. Um, and so and in many ways, I think that stemmed from some trust that they, they had to trust us through uh, some of these processes. And 
they've always been great for our kids, uh, but knowing that they would not have those um, normal uh, day traditional touch points that it allowed us to be able to think about how we support our families in new ways. And I'm encouraged about how that continues even far beyond this pandemic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mrs. Tabitha, in this last year, you have been named Kansas Teacher of the Year, and then you were named National Teacher of the Year. And we offer our deepest congratulations to you on this amazing honor. You have a pulse on the conversations about education at the local and state and national levels. What are the conversations within education that you are hearing in the country right now? You know, I, I'm so thankful um, to now have friends all over the country through this experience and to have access to incredible people that are the heads or members of different educational organizations. And some of the big conversations that are happening are actually two things that I care about. Oh, a lot about and are huge platforms for me. One is how are we elevating um, educator voice through this process? How, how are we using their expertise um, to better format um, our instruction for our students? Kansas is a great example of that in a way that they've really highlighted and tapped into um, teacher voice. And there are a lot of states doing this all over the country. And that's that's really helpful um, as people who, who are on the threshold, um, you know, where the needs are demanding to be met of our students, getting to have some say in what that looks like. And there are also a lot of conversations about how are we meeting our children's social and emotional needs. You know, we know that it's not safe to be mass gathering, right, without lots of safety precautions. But we also know that the alternative is our students who might not have the, the home lives that we dream for them they're in situations that are furthering the trauma in their lives that might be dangerous or unsupportive. How can we help those students still and remember the health and safety of everyone else? So those are things that are definitely um, being talked about around the country. And it's time for the, to, them to be talked about. <laughs> so, yes. so glad for that opportunity. So good. Dr. Grover, uh, you lead a school district in the state of Nebraska with 10,000 students and 1,500 staff and 20, more than 20 schools in Grand Island. So if I did my math right from what I read from, <laughs> from doing some homework on you, that's what I saw. And I imagine that a large amount of your job in a typical year involves problem solving, but you've had to problem solve in a whole new way um, in this season. Can you just give us an example of some of the things that you have the, the superintendent of schools have had to negotiate during this season um, of a new of the coronavirus. Wow, you're talking about trying to uh, negotiate uh, with a virus and the impact that it has or is having on our educational uh, community and balancing the information that we receive from so many different sourcing sources uh, is very challenging. Um, and so even trying to do the fact finding or to consider your local context up against the national context, I think that's been a challenge uh, within itself. I'm very fortunate um, in Grand Island uh, when our community can come together uh, to have some common you know, understanding of how we want to support our communities and the impact to our communities. And one of the things that we've had to negotiate as a school district is how we enroll our students 
in uh, the upcoming school year. This is certainly unprecedented. You know, I'm entering my 25th year uh, in education, and I never thought I'd be faced with, uh, you know, the things that we're faced with right now, the challenges of so many unknowns, and even how we describe safety, um, knowing that we're entering into a situation where we're having to admit that, yes, you may come in contact, you know, uh, you may contract the virus. Like, that's a reality for us. Um, and so I, I, it's very, um, it's scary uh, to think about that concept when it comes to us being educators when we're known to for protecting our children. And so one of the things that, uh, you know, that I wanted to help lead was giving parents voice in how their students are enrolled back in our school district. Um, because there are so many different family dynamics. Uh, people's lives have shifted and changed and they've had to make so many different adjustments. And you're talking about 10,000 students, right? And so that's 10,000 different possible variables that could be happening with our families. And so we, we allowed our parents to have a choice of how they wanted to enroll their students. If they want to come back face-to-face or if they wanted to do virtual school. And so we have set up uh, an actual, uh, build, building it right now from the ground up, an uh, actual virtual school that will have its own principal, um, its own set of teachers, um, where these parents have decided that it's best for my family, uh, whether it's related to a medical concern, maybe their parent works in the medical, um, you know, healthcare community, and, and we've also found, you know, that even some of the online learning uh, platforms were, it was better for kids for whatever reasons. And so giving parents a greater voice, it gives them uh, some sense of security around their individual needs. You had to accelerate what would have been a, a, a you know, a couple year process into just a couple month process um, in, in all of this. So, wow, that's amazing. We have touched on this um, topic a bit, but we want to dive a little bit in more depth about how these last few months have illuminated the disparity in support, in resources, in the needs within their families and across the socioeconomic spectrum. Uh, to, uh, Mrs. Da, I, we talked about how do we just make this real. Tawana, how, what have you seen in your district? And, and Tabitha, what have you seen in your work across the nation about how are how can clergy, how can congregations help understand this and address this and walk with you in this, um, in, in this realness that is before us? Yeah, you know, I, I'm happy to, to jump in and, and start the conversation. And, and Tabitha, we can certainly go, you know, kind of maybe engage in some conversations here because when we talk about the inequities and knowing that as a school district, we are a main lever uh, for equity. And I, it was just, I don't know, so enlightening. We know that we have over 70% of our students that qualify for free and reduced lunch. But when we had to feed our kids outside of the school and we would see lines of cars uh, that would be driving up to receive the meals and serving thousands of meals, uh, per week and many of the people that were coming for meals, 
they may or may not be from our school district, but maybe from our surrounding areas. And so we were able to see the food insecurities uh, just kind of in a different way uh, and the needs of our families. Uh, but I, I think one of the, the greater needs that has uh, come up, and, and Tabitha touched on this a little bit, and I'll talk about uh, maybe how, what the support could look like. But when it comes to the social emotional learning, um, you know, I'm seeing that the students and the families, that there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of fear, and, and fear comes with so many different emotions. Um, you know, just fear about what I'm losing or fear about how this is going to impact uh, my family, fear of the unknown, uh, fear of being threatened in many different ways. Um, and, and, and parents are really trying to juggle that socialization piece with their children as well as trying to keep them safe during these times. And as I've engaged with families, I could see a need for a support system uh, for many different families. And depending on where you live and your circumstances, I've run into a many of single parents uh, who they may or may not have extended family here, or maybe they haven't built, you know, connections or relationships where they can, you know, develop some sense of, of, of a pod or connection of folks. And parents themselves need other people that they can lean in on, that they can trust, that they can have conversations with. Um, and so I, I see a real need for parent support groups through these processes because many parents, they're doing the best that they can uh, to, to be great parents and they're trying to navigate so many different things. Um, and so when we have additional churches, organizations that come in, to provide some of those resources, I think that is so valuable and applaud you for asking the question uh, because many of the resources, the, the mental health needs of our families and, and right now, even thinking about the domestic violence that could be occurring uh, within the homes, uh, the stress that families are under um, with, with their incomes and jobs, um, how, how can we have a greater lens into what's happening in those home environments so that we can provide the support that still allows for stability, safety, and security uh, for the children in those homes. Tawana, I'm so glad that you said something about families because they are such an important part of, of what we can do for our students. Um, yeah, exa exactly what you said, like that support for them. A huge part of what I did through the first wave of the pandemic was parent coaching. I mean, family coaching. That was, you know, more than teaching my students. I felt like that was my job, teaching them about some of our structures and routines at school. How do you make a home environment conducive to learning? How can I, you know, ask them what they need? How can I support them to suddenly have to do jobs that, that were mine before. And, you know, I, I didn't expect that to be a part of my job, even though I feel like if I would have thought a little more critically, I would have realized that um, as I was faced with it. But we absolutely need to get some support for them. And part of what I think churches can do um, is just to really know their communities. You know, we always talk about, my husband Tim and I, that Winfield is this place that looks 
prosperous, right? You drive down Main Street, it's beautiful, it's well taken care of, but then then there's always something that he calls second Winfield or other Winfield, which is this place of rural poverty that, that goes largely unseen. And I didn't really fully understand the impacts of that until I started volunteering with our local circles chapter. Um, this anti-poverty coalition, you might've heard of it, which now we are actually our own entity, not a part of circles, but I didn't know the needs of my students because I wasn't in their homes and I wasn't with their families every day. Some things I couldn't find out because I didn't have educational interest, right? We have all these students who have um, needs, like economically especially, and I don't get to know about it because, you know, that would be a violation of their rights. And so we just have to sort of make educated guesses. But churches have this opportunity to sort of intervene where we don't as um, a government organization. Um, you guys get to see, you know, more of, of that raw um, support that's needed in homes. And you get to see the families in a place where they're being vulnerable. And you're not just working with their kids. You, you're working with the family unit a little more naturally, maybe even than we can. And I've always thought that we can be incredible partners here. And there's a few great churches here in Winfield that I get to talk with and be a part of, um, part of their conversations with their students and their families a lot. And that might be something that you could do too, is invite teachers um, and school, school personnel, administrators to be a part of conversations that you're having about your family needs, much in the way that we are right now. Um, and also to really just to reach out, to bring people into, bring them into the fold. You know, so often we are in our own bubble. Um, and, and what's important for us is our family and our family's needs. But really, you know, guide your congregations to thinking about what is good for the whole community? What can we do to impact everyone and not just our own family unit? Okay, Ashley. You have some questions that we can share with our panelists today. Sure, yeah. Well, um, you guys have both kind of spoken about just the family disruption and, and some of the ways that churches maybe could even speak into that. I think that um, I think that as we think about even some of the disruption that folks are feeling, it's really it's anxiety, <laughs> and there's anxiety for for teachers and for parents and for administrators as we get closer to school starting. How, how if you would, if you'd be willing to share with us, how are you sort of navigating your own anxiety in the midst of all of this? And, and do you have a, a word of encouragement or, um, or of um, instruction for, for each of us as we, as we approach the start of the school year? You know, I will speak to this as a person who <laughs> suffers from anxiety daily. Um, this pandemic has not been a friend to people who who maybe are already predispositioned to have, you know, anxious thoughts or worried thoughts. Um, I I have to I have to do one thing for my health every day, which is to shut off social media and shut off my phone at a certain point. Um, you know, we are in this age and time where information is so readily available and through the pandemic where we're physically distanced from our family and friends, we are seeking that connection even more, even more than we were before. But I think it's negatively affecting our anxieties. You know, we have to create some boundaries. Um, there's such a thing as being, as, as taking on other people's problems too much or the world's problems, because as helpers and as people who love others, we, we want to solve everything. 
But we also do have to remember that just old cliche that you can't, you can't pour from an empty cup. Like you have to take care of your heart and your mind and your physical health. And part of that is distancing yourself from the bad news sometimes, right? You have to be able to give yourself some time to recuperate and um, reinvigorate your your sense for social justice and, and for caring for others. And I'm also really practicing my skills of empathy through this pandemic um, for myself, for others and what they're going through. You know, positive intent says that you believe that everybody is doing their best, even when maybe that's not the truth. And that's just as much for them as it is for me. Um, I get to believe the best about other people. So when I see comments on social media or when I see people behaving in maladaptive ways out in public, you know, I think they are doing the best with what they have. They are acting this way, not because they want to hurt me or they want to hurt someone else, but because of their experiences. And that has really um, softened my heart um, during this time when, when there is such divisiveness. Wow. I can, I can tell Tabitha, uh, maybe she didn't grow up in Alabama, but she definitely has to have some Alabama roots because I've been <laughs> tracking uh, my thoughts uh, alongside her thoughts and um, just so uh, aligned in so many um, different ways. And uh, you've been an educator. I just admire you. And I'm just making an assumption that you're much younger uh, than I am. And so... <laughs> when you encourage us to step away from our phone and take a few minutes to, to reflect or get away from social media and just media in general, um, I think I can take that into my life uh, because being a leader, I'm so afraid that I'm going to miss something um, that I need to know about what happened, you know, in the last five hours that is now headline news that is, you know, changing um, our direction or impacting us in some kind of way. Um, but in order for me to be able to have the proper headspace, I have to make time for um, that mental um, escape into um, a place of, of wholeness. And, and for me, probably my daily word um, right now is about healing. I found so many different ways that I need to, to heal some things, um, you know, within my heart and within my mind each and every day. And I think the way that I am approaching it in this season um, is really extending grace um, because I'm hoping to receive a little grace in return uh, with some of the decisions um, that we're making. And every time when I, uh, I get a note or a car or a text or someone, um, you know, that's thinking about me that understands possibly what I'm going through. I mean, it actually makes a difference. It gives me just uh, uh, enough energy. Uh, sometimes it, tears will flow from my eyes. No, I, I feel like that at that moment, just like, I don't know, just a, a, a moment of anointed time that has just been granted to me um, through their words. And so I found myself wanting to, to give back more. And so making time for just a, a little note here or there uh, in the cars, in the mail, they have meant so much to me during these times. And so, you know, that helps me with my anxiety and finding peace and purpose uh, during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you both for sharing that. I think you're giving us some 
some good reminders. Um, and it's, it's, there's, we each have a responsibility and this is part of the invitation in this, um, in this season is for each of us to kind of, uh, to take it to, that we start here <laughs> we start individually. I'm curious about what do you see as the biggest opportunities during this season in education? Either of you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I can I can jump in. Uh, now this is this is where I live uh, in this in this part of the uh, equation is looking for the opportunities uh, in the midst of chaos, and I think that reimagining public education. Now is the time to do it. What I've seen over the last couple of months is that we've been able to break through some of the bureaucracies that we, we oftentimes have created for ourselves through policies and systems. Uh, but when I can see us move from a traditional setting to a remote setting um, in the matter of a week or move from, you know, serving foods within 24 hours, I have a remote way of doing that. Finding ways to get connectivity, uh, internet connectivity in the kids' homes. 100% of our kids have an internet connectivity through our support. What that really shows me is that we can be just this intentional. Well, now we're opening up a virtual school, giving kids new opportunities. And so I think this is the opportunity for us to invite people in an education space where a lot of our education has not changed for hundreds of years. It's, it looks the same in so many ways. And we've been forced uh, to disrupt, uh, to innovate, to think differently about how we approach education and the way that this can become a lever of equity for so many families. And so just what if that we're able to use the pain points of this pandemic as a pen to rewrite the script for how we approach education. And so I think when we can let teachers voice and their creativity, they've shown us some new ways of how to approach learning without some of our rules because we had to let go and say, what is the best way for you to reach your kids? How can we keep some of that going? How can we elevate technology? We've been trying to infuse technology into our classrooms and it's really hard, but we didn't have a choice but to use technology. So some of the digital spaces, I'm very encouraged about how we can move forward as an education community. We have some of our organizations that are helping us, like our churches, you know, opening up their doors and being partners for, for us. So how, how can we rethink some of the, the systems that we have uh, as we move forward? I'll follow you wherever you go with that speech. <laughs> I know, it's like, wow, <laughs> sign me up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and Tawana, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, you know, like that's where you live because that's really similar for me as a problem solver, as someone who, you know, hears about an injustice and like quickly moves to action. Like how, how can we make this different? And educators, anybody, really anybody who works in a school, I see them making, you know, again, another cliche, which I apparently love to use, make a lemonade out of lemons. You know, they, they work with what they have and they make things better. And this has really given us an opportunity to be reflective. Like you said, with sort of that, that forced pause that we've had to take, we've been given an opportunity as teachers, as administrators to look into the homes of our students now in ways that we never did before to see what barriers they have. And 
families have been given the opportunity to see what we go through every single day. And I think that just that understanding that this has built, which we need to remind ourselves about that's what it is, understanding, because it's so easy to make that a divisive component, right? So, so many times before we didn't understand what each other was going through. And even now I see people with w- running with division rather than running with the understanding. Um, you know, there, there's almost like inventing ways to be mad at each other in the world. And I fall victim to this myself too, when I forget to use things like positive intent um, for other people. But I think we have the opportunity to move forward, having a deeper understanding and knowing what each other is going through. And when we can reflect on those things, we can be even more responsive and we can make decisions on education about what our students' needs are based on the information that we have. I always quote Maya Angelou who said, do your best until you know better. And when you know better, then you do better. And I think this is an opportunity for us to do better in, in, in every aspect, in our communities, in our schools, in our churches, in politics. This was not something anybody wanted um, to happen, but through conflict is how we learn. And we are going to get through this together. That's right. And you all, um, you all are demonstrating the things you're saying we could be saying about the church, right? Church right now. And um, so many churches are navigating some of these very same questions. How can we, how can we navigate technology um, needs? How can we sort of become partners with the families in the midst of ministry? Um, And so, so many things you guys are saying, but I, I would love if we had just, if you, if you would take just a moment to kind of give us some Real tangible ideas. Are there things you're hearing about that churches are doing? Are there things churches could do? Um, what what could we tangibly, how could we help? <laughs> how can the church serve um, as partners to, to our educational systems? In addition to that sort of emotional support and way, you know, ways to be involved in families' lives that maybe schools um, can't be, I think that they could offer some really practical things too. Like I saw families, like for instance, when we had to have a late start here in town, our churches stepped up and provided a place for students to be for families that had to work. You know, if you hear about someone in your community that is in in need of a resource, doesn't have access to a, a healthy person that could help them with childcare on the days that the that that school is off, um, reach out and help them with that. You know, provide provide that resource because access to things is what limits so much of our families' um, opportunities. And also maybe things like opening up the church for a f- small, select, socially distanced, you know, few that need it for, for internet or for a quiet place to work. You know, so often I think it's really hard to work at home. It is so hard for me as an extrovert, as a person who has a little bit of trouble staying on task to work from home. And so for our kids and for our families, that might be the case for them too. So there are just some really practical things that the resources of the church can offer. But one of the biggest things is providing access. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'd give you uh, three little T's that could uh, equate to a big T in team uh, from the church perspective, uh, Ashley. Uh, Number one is transportation. Transportation is so hard uh, for schools right now because if they're having to transport kids on the bus, if they are attempting to go back, uh, we've actually asked our parents, if you can transport your own kid Uh, to school or have a way, then do that in a safe way because we're trying not to pack kids on the bus 
for safety reasons. Um, and the other part is tutoring. Here's one of the things that I hear from my families, and this is in a remote setting. If, when, if and when kids are in a remote setting, many parents are not equipped to help them or they don't have anyone there from their words that is able to assist their children with their remote learning. And so this is the opportunity to lean into the families of where you could be an extended support uh, because sometimes maybe I may have a grandmother or someone who's able to, to watch the children so that they have adult supervision, but they may or not, may not be able to provide uh, clear academic support for those students. Um, and then this becomes even a greater divide between um, our kids and socioeconomic differences where in one family, you may have two well-educated adults who can help with this, but in some other families, they cannot. And so knowing that you can be a partner, this would be a help to the teacher as well as the parents to lean in with some tutoring services uh, for the students. And then the last thing I think is time to connect uh, by bringing uh, the families together again, just so that they know that they're not alone. I've had to have many intimate conversations with the parent at the end of the call, what I knew that parent needed to hear from me was that you are a great parent. You are do you I can tell that you love your children and you're doing so many things right uh, by your child. And I think sometimes when they can connect, they can hear other people's stories, then they don't feel alone in the process. And I think the the church can be that additional wraparound service uh, to team up with the parents as they navigate these times. Thank you so much um, for each of you giving us these, these tangible things as well as things that we can take back um, to our places of uh, of work and connection to see what is possible in our own areas. We want to ask if there are folks who are on the call that if you have questions for our presenters, invite you to put those into the chat, um, either to everyone or if you want to send them just to Ashley or myself, invite you to do so um, because we have an incredible resource right here in front of us. And if you want to tap into um, their experience and wisdom, invite you to, to do so in that the chat box. Um, one question that his has come in already is this, what does a pandemic era school success look like? We've never had this time before. So what does success look like um, in this upcoming year from your perspectives? It's a million dollar question. You know, um, we're, we're reshaping what, what on track looks like right now, right? We're, we're reshaping um, what, what instruction looks like and rethinking that. But for me, it looks like kids who are healthy, not only physically, but also emotionally. Um, that's what I would want for them through this pandemic more than anything. But I would also really say that, that kids be connected to, to their communities and to the people that can provide resources for them, including schools, including churches, you know, just, just that they keep connections. And that to me is more important. Academic things are so important. They are, but we have to remember that we're all starting over. We're all going to be at the same starting point, the same end point. And so you have to be able to remember that we're not expecting the same things that we were last year. Um, 
like Tawana said before, we've had to throw some of the old things out the window. Some things like state testing went by the wayside last semester, and we're even trying to figure out what that's going to look like this year. But success just looks for me like healthy kids and families. Wow. Wow. That is, that is so powerful. Um, I, I think uh, one of the greatest accomplishments as we support the health and wellness of our, our students and our staff members throughout this process, we have to know that that is no longer and, and probably shouldn't have never been um, an add-on or an ancillary type of approach, that it is a very necessary part of the solution to helping students succeed when we address the social emotional learning. One of the other things that we want to do is we want to reduce uh, learning loss uh, for our students. I keep saying that when the pandemic is over, that our students, when they graduate, when they go on to the other parts of their lives, they're going to still have to answer the call for the expectations of how they reach their college and their career goals. We want to get them through the pandemic safely, healthy, and whole. And we want to get them through prepared so that they can continue to have an opportunity to reach their dreams that they have longed for. Um, and, and part of how we do that is ensuring that we are providing high quality educational opportunities for our students, no matter the platform. Thank you so much. One more question that has come in. It says, our parents report that they are weary of emails because of the myriad of emails that are coming and we're getting with changes, details, revisions to plans. Do you have hot tips about best practices for communicating with parents during this time? Oh my gosh, I can identify with the emails. You know, they were already overwhelming before, but they are overwhelming now too, especially if you have more than one email account, right, for different things, which I do and I'm sure most of you do too. Um, one big thing that I have suggested to teachers and to, to colleagues is to make like a sign up for times to check in weekly so that maybe you're not getting bombarded and you don't have to do like a daily email reminder, but then I'm having a moment face-to-face -face with each of my students and their families every week. If they have access to video chat or if they can do a phone call or however that works, socially distance outside in their driveway, you know, use, use your army and your community to make sure that's happening. And you be intentional about it, right? Like in my classroom, I would I would have a list of people that I would say, did I make contact with them this week, right? Individual personal contact. Because so often we get lost in the in the in the four words that we just send on this like impersonal email, impersonal, like, yeah, your kid did great today, you know, sending them out the door. Um, but just be really intentional and individual about your contact. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is allowed, but I just want to say preach. Right. Like the emails are just way I get tons of them trying to keep up with them and trying to now I need to, uh, you know, almost line things up in date categories. I need a chronological order when this information came in. Um, and so I think uh, reassuring your families, and I'm just going to uh, maybe come at it from how we should communicate or maybe ideas to think about uh, reassuring your families that you are. The, whatever, if you're the teacher, the administrator, the church, it, that you are the voice of what is going to be occurring 
within your organization because they're getting information coming at them. And as it relates to what is happening in our world, our context, our, our organization, we're going to be the main voice of communication. And this is how we're going to communicate. And so whether or not you're set up and try to think about it, like if you're set up on a weekly um, call, then be clear about when they can expect that. Or if, you know, you say, well, we're going to check in quarterly or whatever, whatever that looks like, try to give them ways uh, of knowing when that is going to happen. And one of the things I have found very helpful during this time is conducting uh, a virtual town hall where we're going to share information that we can share it in a way that we can explain it. Uh, and we can lean in a little bit where it's not just an email because so with every word that's sometimes in an email or a letter, there's so many questions that come along with that. And we always allow time for the audience to ask questions just like you're doing right now. And they can get some of those clarifying concepts um, solidified for them right there in the moment. Uh, because I always say uh, strong communication uh, can push down fear, right? When we communicate, being clear is being kind. And in our communication, we want to make sure that we're being kind, that we don't cause um, added frustration for you. So think about your communication outlets, you're communicating your timeline and how we're being clear with our families. Thank you. That's so good. Very good. All right. Well, I want to give both Mrs. Tabitha and Dr. Grover just a, a brief minute. If, you, if there's anything that you want to say kind of as a final word as we wrap up, we really could go on and on. Um, it's so great to, to hear from you both um, about some of the possibilities that exist in this time. But what final word of permission or support um, or, or whatnot would you offer for, for teachers and for parents, for administrators, um, and for, for those of us in the church during this season? Well, I'm just, you know, again, so thankful that you guys are having these conversations um, at all and, and valuing input from others and being open to um, the idea of different ways to help. My biggest thing that I just, I want to remind people and I see so much of is that we are not going to make it through this unless we do it together. You know, we've all got to be looking out for one another in ways that we never imagined before, you know putting self behind other is something that's really hard for people when they're afraid, when they're scared, um, when, when they fear for their family or when they're getting information from all different kinds of sources and having anxieties on their own. But one thing that I, I want just people to talk about and, you know, something someone said in college to me once was, um, you don't want to be right. You want to do what's right. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I repeat to myself all the time. And I think that we don't want to only do what's best for us. We want to do what's best for everybody. And so the more that we can get outside of ourselves and, and still having boundaries, but remembering that every action that we take is important to our community and to other families, if just encourage that and, you know, encourage people to, to process in ways that are healthy, I think that we will get far, much farther together than we could alone. Thanks. Well, thank you so much, uh, Tabitha. And uh, we can see why she is certainly uh, was named the teacher of the year 
just great wisdom and insight uh, coming uh, from one of our educators. And so thank you so much for your service uh, to the young people and inspiring other educators all across this country. And again, thank you so much um, to uh, the United Methodist uh, Conference for having us here today. As I've been on the call and I feel so fortunate to be in this space, having this conversation. And what I am uh, reminded about and what I wanna encourage you uh, to think about today that if you're on this call or at whatever point that you're able to hear this message today, um, as long as you have breath in your body, I do believe that you were created for such a time as this and that you do have purpose. And while things are looking different and changing uh, right before our eyes, uh, that the purpose for our life, it is still there. And so I want to encourage you to give yourself permission to reimagine how you lead and how you reach uh, the people that we are fortunate enough to have the opportunity to touch their lives. And just remember, because we could be the difference maker in how their lives go forward, which reinforces the purpose by which we serve. Thank you so much for the difference that you're going to continue to make in so many different people's lives. Uh, thank you guys so much, so much wisdom that, that you both have shared. And I just appreciate the way that you all, um, that you two have both offered us words of, of encouragement um, and your casting and vision. Um, Dr. Grover, I, I loved it when you said um, we should use the pain point as a pen um, to rewrite the script uh, for, for what we've got moving forward. And I'm going to take that take that with me. Uh, Tabitha, I'm going to take with me today just the reminder um, that churches do have, have an opportunity into the inner workings of the lives of families in ways um, that, that schools don't. And there's so many opportunities for us to, to find those ways of um, of being able to help help to contribute to healthy kids and families in this season. So we're so grateful for, for your presence today. And I know that um, that lots of folks are thinking about this. Uh, we've got lots of, we have a history of educational partnerships in our conference dating back to the very beginning of the Great Plains Conference in 2014. We have a, a whole, a lot of resources on our website, and I'm really excited today um, to invite Nicole Connard, the Young Adults and Campus Ministry Coordinator for the conference, to share about some grants, actually, that are going to be available to churches in the year ahead. So, Nicole, will you tell us about some opportunities that await for some of the churches in our world? Yeah. Thank you, Ashley, and thank you very much for this time. Grover and Ms. Tabitha. This has been enlightening for my morning. Um, some going forth as we go, as we think about how we can put this into action, just want to let you know there are two websites and areas um, for churches to go to. One is the Education Partnership Initiative that Ashley just referred to. Um, so it's greatplainsumc.org slash education. And that all happened um, as Ashley had said, in 20, starting in 2014. So if you're looking for some ideas um, and then wanting to recreate them for the such a time as this that we are living right now, you're welcome to look at that um, piece. But the other website on there is um, where you can get an education partnership mini grant. And so this is um, some grants to be able to be helpful to do those connecting, to offer transportation or tutoring or time to connect, 
um, any of those ways that we really can be teaming up with our communities. Um, and so those are located at greatplainsumc.org slash serving dash with dash others dash grant. So serving with others grant with a dash in between. And um, please feel free to apply um, and have churches or networks, um, uh, districts to be able to apply to those. Um, and we want to be able to support and resource as best as possible. Thank you. Yeah, and we'll put links to all that on the episode page as well, plus some other resources that we're going to share. Tabitha and Tawana for our conversation today. We just want to briefly mention our upcoming conversation, which will be on Thursday, August 13th at 10.30 in the morning. And we'll be discussing something that we um, touched on briefly today on poverty. While the pandemic has impacted all of us, the materially poor among us seem to have been impacted the most. We'll hear from two people who can help us see the poor among us and experience hope in tangible ways. Reverend Kabbalah Chali, our Conference Mercy and Justice Coordinator, will join us, and Reverend Marcy Bender, the newly appointed Mission and Outreach and Justice Ministries Co Coordinator for the Missouri River District, will be joining us. And you can register for this and other upcoming conversations and find more resources at greatplainsumc.org slash at the threshold. Well, as we wrap up today, we want to mention a first step of encouragement uh, that, that you can give to the children of your, your church as they prepare to head back to school in whatever form that takes. Bishop Signs has created a blessing for kids where he gives them a word of encouragement and blesses their backpacks. This video and a couple of others related to kids are going to be released on both the Great Plains UMC website and in our social media on August 5th in both English and Spanish. And as a way of closing our time together today, we, we want to share the bishop's prayer that he prays um, on this video with this group today. So will you, will you join and, and, and listen to, the, to this prayer prayed by Bishop Signs? Loving God, thank you for the gift of learning. Thank you for the ones who teach us, guide us, and care for us, especially this school year as we go back to a new way of learning. I pray that you will bless each child in their journey, each family they represent, and each person in the educational system. May you use us, the church, to support and bless these persons along the way. In Jesus' name, amen. God's grace and peace be with you. here for joining this conversation and whether you're joining us today or listening later we hope that you've been able to see our new reality just a little bit clearer asked a few new questions and been encouraged we'll stay here for a few more minutes if anyone who's on the call with us today wants to chat with us or or with dr grover or mrs tabitha but we hope that all of you are finding some light at the threshold
joining us in this series about ministry in liminal time. You can find links to join future conversations at greatplainsumc.org slash clergy resources or listen to them as a podcast at greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. This is a challenging season full of confusion and uncertainty, and we want to shed a little light to help you discern the way through. Thank you for joining us at The Threshold.